0: How you guys doing this morning? Doing all right? Good. Yeah? All right. I was afraid I was going to have to wake you guys up like the 8.30 service. Um, you're probably asking yourself a couple of questions. First of all, who is this guy? Second of all, why doesn't he get to wear the really cool Madonna mic like Francis gets? Francis I haven't figured that one out. I don't know where he sews that thing, but um, I, I was that, to be honest with you, that's what I was really looking forward to this weekend. You know, feeling like Madonna, getting the cool little, like, your little mic. They hand me this little shirt thing, and I was like, okay, Lord, I will be humbled. No, no, no Madonna for me. It's probably healthier. Um, anyways, my, my name's Scott. Um, I'm a, I've been on staff of the college ministry here for the last, like, three or four years. And, um, the last year I've been the Dean of Students at the Bible College. Um, and if you weren't here last weekend, Uh, I'm also with uh, a buddy of mine, Brian, and a few other people from the church, uh, planning a church down in Santa Monica, um, coming up this fall, so in a few months. So if you're from the area, or moving to the area, or somehow intrigued by the area, um, love to talk to you. Got little, cool little blue cards. They're beautiful. My wife made them. She's amazing. Um, Just got all the information, stuff like that, if you want info in the back. And um, it's about the last. I'll talk about that, I promise. is it? Isn't the God that we sing to amazing? Like, I don't know about, about you, but when I think about this God, that, like, he absolutely is indescribable. God in heaven created us, knows everything about us, is everywhere. We never go anywhere we can hide from him. And he knit us together, every piece of it, made you specifically the way you are on purpose. It's amazing. It's just amazing to me. And when I think about it, just, uh, my mind is just flooded with responses. My mind's flooded with uh, just joy and worship. And I just wanted to continue this kind of moment of worship just for a few minutes and, and, and ask you just to think about what, what comes to your mind when you think about that. What comes to your mind when you think about how this amazing God who knit us, every single one of us together, who knows everything and is everywhere and is all-powerful. Like what, what are the words, what are the things that come to your mind? Not a rhetorical question, actually. Crowd participation here. What are the things that come to your mind? Wow! Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, these empower everything around you. Absolutely. What else? Oh, come on! It's 11:30. You feel small. Totally. Overwhelmed. What else? Secure, speechless, absolutely. You know, our minds get flooded, and when we when we sing these worship songs to God, our our minds just get filled with all these just amazing just thoughts about who God is and about our reactions. And um, we just sang basically through the first 18 verses of Psalm 139. And and as our seminary professors like to tell us, that'll preach. Like, those 18 verses, like, those will preach. You could just sit on those and talk about them for hours because they're so amazing. But the reality is that David didn't stop at verse 18. His thought process did not stop at verse 18. In fact, he went further. He actually talked about what his reaction was and, and the, the type of thoughts. He has a whole thought process in, rea- in response to this amazing God and so that's what we want to dig into today, is take this even a step further. We look at this God who's so amazing, who knit us together, who is so much bigger than us, and look at what David's response was. And so if you want to, you can flip open your Bibles with me to Psalm 139. Um, if you have them, if not, it's okay, I'll read it. Um, starting with verse 19, we, we just we just talked about Psalms 1 Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. Here's starting with verse 19. This is David's reaction to such an amazing God. He says... If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They seek of you; they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And abhor those who rise rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Uh, Does somebody switch out my Bible? Like (laughs) this this does not make sense to anybody else. Like. How many of you, I didn't hear any anybody go, oh, when I think about that, what comes up in my mind is hatred. <laughs> like, I am ticked when I hear about, I'm ticked at people when I hear about how amazing God is. Like, what, what is, have you, ever, you guys ever sat at a restaurant with somebody? And I, I've, I've done this before, and I've unfortunately been the guy before. You ever sat with somebody, and like, like you're talking to them, and you're kind of pouring out your heart, you're just like, yeah, this is what's going on in life. And all of a sudden, like, you kind of stop talking, and the guy goes... Dude, that is the darkest color of brown I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and you're just like, what? Where's your mind? Like, that's exactly how I feel when I read this. Like, like David's going, "Oh God, it's so amazing, it's so amazing. And all of a sudden, like, he has a brain fart or something. But his brain just goes, "Boo! I hate those who hate you." Like, it's almost like he got interrupted and all of a sudden got bitter and wanted to finish the psalm before he left. Or I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, when you first come to this psalm, it's like, what is going on? But wait just a second, this isn't just David's musings. This is the Word of God. This is the inspired Word of God. And David didn't, this isn't David's accidental thought process. This is the thought process inspired by God through a human David. And so this is here for a reason. And this is a part of this psalm for a reason. And it would be really easy to stop at verse 18, preach that, and we'd all have a blast, but we'd be missing out on what God meant, the whole point that this four verse section is the key to understanding the whole point of what David was trying to get across here and his whole his whole thought process. Because he looks at this amazing God, he looks at this God who is so far beyond his even comprehension. He looks at this God and goes, oh, "You are so good. You knit me to. Can you imagine?" Being inspired by the Holy Spirit and writing, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Being the first person to actually put those words in, into an explainable sentence. Just the intricacy that God has. that and, and thinking about, oh my gosh, you are so amazing. You love me so much. And then thinking about people who deny that that God exists. Who say, no, you He doesn't even exist. In fact, I I, I totally deny him. I deny what he tells me in his word. That's not true. He's not real. This is all one big accident. You didn't knit anything together, God. Can you imagine being a little person on this little earth here and looking at God and going, you didn't knit anything together. You're not real at all. All of a sudden, David goes, wait, in comparison to such an amazing and holy and perfect God, if you're going to deny him, if you're going to stand opposed to him, that, that, that doesn't make you neutral. Like that sets you opposed to him. You, that makes you an enemy of God. It, if you want to flip in your Bibles, I want to look real quick. I want to take a, just a little detour just to explore this this whole idea of enemy of God just real quick. I want to take a little detour. We'll get back to David's thought process, but fl- flip to uh, James chapter four. James chapter four, starting with um, starting with verse four. I just want to read you just verse 4 right now. He he says this. James writes, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend to the world becomes an enemy of God. If you associate yourself with the world and things of the world, you are an enemy. That's what James is saying. I'm not saying this. James is saying it. You are an enemy of God. There's some of you here who are start your blood's starting to boil, because you're like, wait a second, I'm just here to check this whole thing out. Like, I just came because I haven't been to church in a while, and I, like, I wanted to, you know, a friend invited me, and, I, and I'm just here, and I just want to check this whole thing out, and you're, I sit down, and you start calling me an enemy of God because I don't believe in him? Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I can't get away from it. That's what the Word of God says. And I know it's not easy, to be perfectly honest with you, as a guest preacher, I've all week I've kind of been asking myself, like, why in the world did you why in the world did the Lord want me to preach on this this weekend? But it is what it says, you're an enemy of God. But, and there's a big but, but that's not the end of the story. Because we all at one point were enemies of God. We all stand opposed to him, denied him, and in fact hated him whether we knew it or not absolutely hated him, and God says, but I want to reconcile those who hate me to myself. In 1 Peter, he talks about the, the, the sacrifice of Christ, and he says, God shows his love for us. God loves you so much. He shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Christ, Jesus Christ, this is the message of hope. This is the message, this this is what it all points to, that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty that we deserve to pay for our sins. We deserve to pay a penalty because we are enemies of God. We are are guilty of treason against God. But the penalty that we deserve to pay for that, Christ paid on the cross. He paid it so that we don't have to, and it's only by faith in Him, it's by believing in Him that we can be saved. That we don't have to, that that we can be no longer called enemies, but be called sons of that amazing God. And that is an amazing, amazing hope. In verse, in verse 20 of uh, of Psalm 139, he, he, David says this about, about the, these enemies that he hates so much. He says two things. He says, they speak of you with evil intent, and your adversaries misuse your name. That's what we just talked about. They... they speak about you with evil intent. Those who speak against God are enemies of God. But the other thing he says, is the other thing about enemies of God is they misuse your name. Now for some reason in our culture, we've come to this idea that the misuse of God's name, taking God's name in vain, means using God as a swear word, using the word, G-O-D, as a swear word. When we get frustrated or whatever, we say God, and that's taking God's name in vain. But what he's saying is, when he says, when he really is talking about taking God's name in vain, when he's talking about misusing God's name, what he means is taking God's name, call, associating yourself with God, taking God's name, like calling yourself a Christian, a little Christ, and living a way that totally denies that. That is the misuse of God's name. That is taking God's name in vain. Is when you call yourself. One with Him. When you call yourself a, a person that is associated with God, but you walk, but you walk out and deny Him. Brennan Manning is a Christian author, and uh, I haven't read a ton of his stuff, but he, he he had a quote, and it was unfortunately for him probably it wasn't made famous by him. It was made famous by DC Talk. And for those of you who can remember Back to DC Talk, they were a Christian band right in between Petra and Michael W. Smith. Um, <laughs> but Brennan Manning said this, he said the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and deny him by their lifestyle that is the greatest cause of atheism today, Christians those who associate themselves with Christ, call themselves little Christ and deny him by their lifestyle walk out the door and do something completely different and what David's saying is, those who misuse God's name, those who take take His name and misuse it, just like that, are enemies of God. I don't know. I don't know if if any of you guys. When I was in high school, I played high school basketball, and for a few years, I was pretty good. And towards the end, I sat more than I played. But um, we'd be in practice, and we'd be playing like five on five, and. It, I don't know if, if any of you guys were kind of like me, like you'd miss a few shots in a row, and somebody would walk up to you and they go, hey bro, one of my teammates would walk up to me and go, hey bro, you're the best guy on their team right now. You're really not helping us at all. And, and but when you think about this, think about this just, real, just for a second. If you call yourself, if you say you're on the team, if you say you're on God's side, I am associating myself with God, but you walk out the door and deny him by your lifestyle, guess what? You are the best player on the opposing team right now because you are not helping, you are hurting the cause of Christ. You are denying who Christ is by the way you live and showing people, telling people, if you say, I'm a Christian, you're telling people, this is what Christ is like, but you're living a completely opposite life. That does not make you neutral or just kind of a... That sets us up as an enemy of God if we're living like that. As an enemy. Someone opposed to his ways. It's just... And so, when we think about this, when we think about, okay, wait, David says he hates these people. He's not talking about some, like, figure of speech. When you watch Amazing Race, and you hate it when somebody gets kicked off the show, right, he's not using that type of hate. When you are, you know, driving down the road, and you get low on gas a little bit earlier than you want, you're like, oh, I hate it when I run out of gas. Not exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about, and he says, I hate them with complete, with perfect hatred. I hate them with real, intense, complete, before God, perfect hatred. This is what I hate them with. This is for real. He's not joking. And for some of us, like we're we feel this tension because we're like, Whoa, wait, wait, wait a second. God said, "Love your enemies," right? Or Jesus said, "Love your enemies." Jesus said, "Love those who persecute you." What, how, what, what do we what do we do with this? And that is a great question. And we're not going to touch it today. Because it is, it is a good question. It is something I've been wrestling with. And, and it is and it is legit. But it's not David's train of thought. And I want to stay, I want to go back, I want to stay with David's train of thought right now. And, and I would encourage you to go home and wrestle with that because it is a great thing to wrestle through. How these two coaches are saying, because I think they do perfectly. I think it's a beautiful thing. But sometimes it takes a struggle with the text. And I, I, I'd invite you to do that. But the question that David, that this that when we come to this passage, and we look at such an amazing God, and we see David's reaction to it, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, that, do I hate sin? Do I hate sin? If I, accept, if I call myself a Christian, and I accept it, and I'm, I'm going to live that life, and, and I say, Lord, I love you, do we not sin just because we love God, or do we not sin because our heart has been made so like his that we actually hate sin too? and i know there's a lot there's a lot of you here who, who are there you you hate sin and and we're there and we go oh like it, it disgusts me sin just it, it's absolutely appalling to me like like i see it and it, it it drives me nuts i see it in other people and and i just cringe and if you hate sin like david hates sin if you hate sin with this complete and perfect hatred then a face to face confrontation with one of those people that you hate so much one of those people that that this hate burns against does not take a drive to Vegas, and it doesn't take a drive by Snookies, and it doesn't take just turning on the TV. Oftentimes, a face-to-face confrontation with somebody that you hate this much, all it takes is a glance in the mirror. Because if you're anything like me, there are parts of that that you hate so much that dwell right inside of you, and it drives you nuts. You see, D- David knew this all too well. Uh, look, look at this transition. because this is, And this is what's so amazing about his train of thought. Because he has two hiccups here. That, it, that if we came to Scripture flippantly, to be honest with you, we'd ignore them. What we'd do is we'd take, if we wanted to talk about hating sin, we'd take these four verses. If we wanted to talk about how, much God, how, how amazing God is, we'd talk about the 18 before. And if we want to talk about, about praying to God... We talk about the last two, but when we preach them all together, when we we talk through them all together, when we study them all together, all of a sudden what, what looks like hiccups and what looks like transitions that don't make sense, all of a sudden become the keys to his entire way of thinking. Look at this real quick. He says, okay, God is so amazing. I hate sin, I hate those who abhor you. Look at the transition, starting in verse 22. I have nothing but hatred for them. He's saying, I have complete, I have perfect hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And the next verse search me and know my thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, David knows that he, he, his heart burns against sin. But he knows that all too often, it, it lies right, right inside of him. Now, I just wanna give some backup because I'm convinced that David, just in the placement of the psalm and where it's at and even the thought process, I'm convinced that David wrote this psalm after um, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, I, don't, I know a lot of you probably know this story, but just real quick to recap David was the king of Israel he sent his armies out to go fight for him armies are away he's kind of kicking it just hanging out once goes out on the porch to, to enjoy an afternoon looks out over the city looks down on a house and sees a beautiful woman it's Bathsheba the problem is Bathsheba is married but David doesn't care he looks at her and he doesn't turn away, he lingers, looks a little longer, eventually he decides to invite her to his house. Long story short, David sleeps with Bathsheba. And sends her and she goes home. You know, David's kind of like, well, probably wasn't the best thing, but what it well, the problem is, Bathsheba, well, and that's a problem in and of itself, it's not minimizing that, but <laughs> The only problem with this is she got pregnant. No uh, (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. It's a problem in and of itself, but it's complicated by the fact that she does get pregnant She gets pregnant and comes back to David and says "Uh, Remember that night we had together guess what I'm pregnant with your baby David goes okay. I got to fix this right so David what what do we do when, when, when we're caught in sin so many times just like David we don't we don't we don't, okay, okay, it's all in the open, I need to confess, again. no, 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 we dig deeper. We do everything we can to hide it, to cover it up. David goes, okay, how, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? He goes, okay, well, I'm going to send for Uriah, her husband, and have him come back to town, tell me about, the, about how the war's going, and then when he's in town, he'll probably go stop by his wife, they'll probably sleep together, and, you know, eight and a half, nine months, who's counting? It'll... It'll seem like his baby. So, so Uriah comes, tells him about, the, about how the war's going. David says, thank you very much. Why don't you just spend the night, and then we'll send you home. He goes, oh, OK. He goes, well, why don't you go home to your wife? And Uriah goes, wait, wait, wait. I, I can't go home to my wife. My, my... The people I'm fighting battle with, my comrades, are sleeping in the dirt on the battlefield. Who am I? See, the problem is, Uriah's a man of honor. Who, can, who am I? How can I go sleep with my wife And, and, and have, a, have a nice meal and, and a nice night with my wife When all my men are sleeping in the dirt So what Uriah does He sleeps on David's porch And David's going Okay Plan not going well So plan B Right If <laughs> If lying doesn't solve a problem What can? Uh, alcohol Right? Let's get Uriah drunk so he gets Uriah drunk the next night and goes, maybe if he's drunk, he'll forget about his honor and go home. Well, the problem is Uriah doesn't. Rather, it was his choice or not. Either way, he passed out on David's on David's porch again and spent the night there. And so David's going, OK, this really is not working out well. So what David does is then writes a letter to Uriah's commanders, saying, OK, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send Uriah to the front line Go attack a city, and as they're coming out to fight him, back away a little bit from Uriah and make sure that he's killed, right? David signs it, rolls it up, seals it, and hands it to Uriah to deliver. The guy's delivering his own death sentence. But Uriah's a man of honor, so he doesn't look at it. He doesn't ask what it is. He's a man of honor. He delivers it as as he's supposed to. Commanders do as David said. David's the king. Commanders do as David said. Uriah gets killed. David says, okay, well, I we may have had to kill a person, but uh, problem solved, right? So he marries Bathsheba, makes him his own wife. He goes, okay. Now, everybody, you know, from, from, the, from the side of everybody, it seems like I've covered my tracks. Things like thing, things should be good. I should be all right. The only problem is, we serve the God that He talked about in Psalm 139 earlier. We serve a God who nothing can be hidden from. We serve a God who knows and sees everything, who sees every little thing, and nobody may have known, but God knew. So what did God do? Well, He sent Nathan. Nathan was was one of David's right hand man. He was a prophet of God. Sent Nathan to talk to David. We pick. You can pick up the action in in. A, 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's why I'm going to start reading. I'm just going to read these first six verses. This is what Nathan says to David. Nathan comes to confront David, but instead of just confronting him up front, this is what he does. It's actually an interesting, interesting um, way about it. Nathan comes to David, and he says this. He says, he says, David, I need to tell you a story. Or I need to tell you about something that's going on in the kingdom. He says, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. You see, David hated sin. He was a man after God's own heart, even though he was in the midst of this evil, wicked plot that he had tried to cover up his sin. He, he knew, that he, and he hated sin. He hated it in his, in his kingdom. But it didn't matter. And what Nathan did, Nathan's response to him, Nathan's response to David, when David says, I, this man deserves to die, Nathan's response to him was, you are that man. He said, David, you are that man. How many times do we come to service like this? We hear a sermon. We hear about, you know, something preached against against wickedness or sin or what's going on. And all of a sudden we go, you know what? I'm really bummed that Bob wasn't here tonight. Because he could really use this. this. This sin is horrible and it is gross and it is eating up his life. I really wish that he was here. And all the while, for some reason, we're not catching the fact that God is saying to us, you are that man. You are the person that I'm talking about. Whether we know it or not, whether we realize it or not, God is so often saying to us exactly what he said to David. That wait a second, this is about you. And it broke David. He broke down. It broke. It, it broke him completely. And, it, and it's because of I think this type of situation, this situation that David had lived through, and he knew. He knew that he hated sin, but he also knew that all too often, what he was hate, what he hated so bad, was right inside of him. And so he knew that when he says, "God, I hate your enemies. They are my enemies. I hate them with complete hatred," he knew. Oh, but God, I know that there's some of that in me. And so he prayed this prayer. He prays in verse 23 of Psalm 139 Search me, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a dangerous prayer. I don't know if any of you guys, I, I, I'm sure there's a bunch of you out there who have prayed this prayer before. And the scary thing about praying prayer sometimes is, is we, have, we have a God who answers prayer. And when you say, search me, we're not asking, David's not asking for like just a skim, skim over. He's not asking for like a, hey, will you check me out and see if there's anything really bad in my life and just let me know. He's saying, search me. He's saying, look in the depths of my heart, in the places that I don't know where sin dwells and deal with it. This is like, this is the type of search me was like, just do whatever it takes to get in me and get whatever sin, whatever is offensive to you out. Lord, search me. Look, look and know my heart. Oh, I don't know about you, but that is scary because I know the parts of my heart that I know. And it and it scares me that God knows that. Then there's the parts of my heart that that I don't even realize. There's parts of my personality that are laden with sin, and I don't even realize it. There's parts of the way I I live my life that are so ingrained with sin that I don't even even recognize it. And so, David's saying, search me. And then he says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. I I don't know about you, but the, the prayer that is more often prayed in my life is... Lord, please don't test me. I don't want anxious thoughts. Like, that's where where I'm coming from. You know, it's like, come on, Lord. You don't need to put me through too many trials. Like, I don't want anxious thoughts. But David says, no, 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 no. I'm serious. I hate sin. I actually do. I hate sin. And if I hate sin so much, I need you to test me. I need you to try me. I need you to put me through whatever it takes to expose and know the depths of my heart that are so gross that that my own hatred burns against them. And it's this inviting saying, God, I don't care what it takes. I know that freedom from sin is on the other side. So I don't care what it takes. I want you to test me, try me, do whatever it is to expose it and get it out there. The third thing he prays for, he says, see if there is any offensive way in me. Again... (laughs) David's not praying, see if there are some really offensive ways in me. See if there are any many offensive ways that seem to offend other people in me. He's saying, see if there is anything, anything in my life that is offensive, anything in my heart that is offensive to you, look at it and expose it. And why does he pray these prayers? He prays the prayers because we can't do it. Our hearts are too complicated. Charles Spurgeon once said that there are two types of hypocrisy in this world. One, where we, fool ourse- where we fool the world. The other, where we fool ourselves. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'm a whole lot better at the second one. We can fool ourselves. We can put up, okay, I've got this, I've got this motive that may not be completely pure for making this decision, but as long as I put a godly, a godly motive up next to it, I can justify it, right? Like, as long as I, you know, feel like before the Lord I can justify it, I think I'm, I'm all right. I'm not asking to, like, test and see if there's any, any ungodly motive in there. I'm just trying to get away with having a godly motive, right? And he's and he saying, no, I want you to search. I want you to tear out. I want you to look in me and see if there's anything that's offensive to me. Jeremiah says, Jeremiah writes that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? Our hearts are so complex. Your heart is so complex, there's no way you can understand it. My heart is so complex. My wife's heart is immensely complex. (laughs) There's no way I can understand it. But but there's no way we can even understand our own hearts. Because they're so complex, they're so intermingled, they're so... Sin is so often like a cancer that doesn't just stay neatly on top of an organ but starts to take it over and become intermittent, and it takes ripping it out. It takes a painful process to cure us of it. The reality is, only God can do that. We can't. And, and there is no way, there is no way that God can deal with the sin in our lives if we deny its existence and try to bury it in complacent living. There's no way. Freedom from sin, freedom from sin lies the other direction. Freedom from sin, honoring God, following him holy lies in the direction of God digging in deep, exposing our sin, laying it bare, gross in front of us, and dealing with it. Freedom from sin lies in the direction in which he searches out the depths of our hearts and, and pulls out pieces, gross pieces of our heart that we didn't even know existed. Things that we were just assumed were part of who we are, but are really completely opposed to who he is. That's where freedom from sin lies. Last, last week, if you were here, when we announced the church plant and we were just kind of sharing our hearts about it, my, my friend Brian used the word revival. Use the word revival, and and I'm absolutely with him. We don't use the word revival enough. But, you guys, revival isn't found in big tents. Revival is not found in amazing speakers and great bands and huge crowds. Revival is found when we are willing to come before the Lord and say, God, whatever it takes, do it. Purge me make me a follower of you. Revival is found, the seeds of revival are found on our floors, on our knees, weeping over the grossness of our own hearts. Where we say, God, cleanse me. Clean me. Lord, take it out. Take care of it. God, deal with me in ways I don't care what it takes. I don't care how painful. I want to follow you. And these are dangerous prayers. These are not easy prayers to pray. It is not an easy prayer to say, Lord, search me, test my heart, do whatever it takes. But they are prayers that lead to freedom and to hope. They, they are prayers that lead to a relationship with God that is that's far beyond what we ever imagined. They are prayers that lead to a relationship that we were created for. It's such a beautiful thing. And that's why David, in closing, he says, he says, God, search me, get it out, see it, expose it, whatever it is, but God, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in your way. Lead me in the way of eternal hope. Because that's what I long for. Is that what you long for? Do you hate sin? I challenge to you is my prayer is that God will give you the strength and the courage, because it takes it, to pray this prayer, knowing that God will answer it. But knowing that what's in store, what's at the end of that trial, is something more beautiful than we could ever imagine.